Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Jess Nelson, and you are listening to a brand new episode of My Cancer Story Podcast. Welcome. So today's episode, you are going to meet Brandy Benson. She is an author, a speaker, a Ewing sarcoma survivor and veteran, and she has an incredible cancer story to share with us. She's been on other podcasts. She's been on so many interviews on Facebook and Instagram Live, and she is just this beautiful person inside and out. She shares a wealth of knowledge about her cancer, as well as how she changed her life post-cancer, and as well as health, fitness, and the silver lining that had come from her cancer diagnosis and surviving her cancer. So I hope you guys really enjoy this. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information. I'm so glad that you were able to connect and you're able to to join me on my Cancer Story podcast. Um, I have Brandy here. She found me. Uh, we connected on Instagram and um, scheduled a, a chat to be able to tell her cancer story. She is a Ewing sarcoma survivor, also um, a military veteran and a speaker for TLC Lions and I'm sure many more. So I'm, I'll, I'll definitely let you explain more, but welcome Brandy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it greatly. I know we've been trying to schedule this little um, conversation for quite some time. So I'm really excited to finally get to talk to you, get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. It's be awesome. Yeah, no, I was I was definitely looking forward to this conversation as we scheduled it so far in advance. I was sitting there like two weeks ago and I was like, did I miss a talk with Brandy? Because I feel like it was it was just on the schedule for so long. I was like, did I somehow miss this? And then I looked at my Zoom calendar and I was like, okay. We're good. Yeah. It's yeah. been two weeks. <laughs> so I'm glad we were able to finally chat and, and catch up and get to meet each other. So, yeah. um, yeah, so it's just going to be more of like a, a chill conversation, but, um, I'll, I'll let you take it away from here. Just tell more about, uh, Ewing sarcoma and I guess just the, the journey that it, it became for you to, to find, um, the cancer and, and the journey you went through to, to survive Ewing sarcoma. Right. So I am originally from California. I am from the Bay Area, Nevada, Marin County. It's about 30, 45 minutes from San Francisco. Grew up there, lived there for quite some time. At 16 years old, I moved from California to Hawaii. Lived in Hawaii then for about six years, six, seven years. I I moved from there to Illinois. In Illinois, I lived in a place called Gurney. And Gurney is about 15 minutes from Kenosha. It's right on the borderline of Wisconsin. Um, So that's where I ended up joining the Army. So I joined the Army in hopes to play for my country someday, um, you know, basketball, soccer on a like really large national level. I wanted that to be my job, uh, basically. Um, I grew up extremely athletic. I played basketball, soccer, volleyball, softball, ice skating, any sport, you know, you can think of. I definitely have played it and I played very well. So as I was in college and kind of just learning about my different routes and avenues that I can do to pursue with my career and life and education, the military kind of just lined up perfectly uh, for what I wanted to do at the time. So I'd get a a jump start in my career. I would have a career. I'd have school paid for. I would be able to play on a massive level with sports. So that was just like one of the main things I wanted to do. So I joined the army in 2008. So I was in basic training, I AIT for about six months, I believe, six, seven months. Um, I then go to my main duty station, which is in Fort Carson, Colorado. I'm there for one month and nine days. And I am instructed that we're going to be deploying to Iraq. And so during this time, I was 23, I think it's just turned 24. And I didn't really understand why I was leaving so soon. It was mostly because I had just learned how to shoot a gun, how to throw a grenade, how to clear a room, how to find if a lung was collapsed. Like I just was, you know, I just learned all these things. Now I have to implement all of this information that I kind of just, I mean, I paid attention, but I didn't pay great attention to what I was supposed to be learning because it was kind of just all crammed in really quickly. So now I'm going to be, having to take all these tactics and um, these tools and resources I just learned in AIT and basic training, I have to really and truly implement it now into 
real life scenarios and situations. So I was really stressed out about that and not knowing if I paid attention well enough and, you know, what am I going to do if I have to do a firefight and clearing a room and, you know, bombs and things going off. So I was really nervous about all that. Uh, so after finding out that I'm really going to be leaving to Iraq, start getting like really bad anxiety and really nervous and really scared. And I start doing research on the place that I'm going to. So I'm going to this place called Fog Echo, which is 86 miles south of Baghdad. It's, you know, the Southern region. And I find out that this place and, you know, on YouTube, we're like looking, seeing what's going on. Where am I going? They had just had a huge um, bomb or incoming uh, bomb, okay. bombs coming um, over there. So I watch a video of people like screaming and they're crying and, you know, it's just horrific. And it's just, you know, people, you know, you see all the shrubble and the dust and, you know, things flying everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is the place that I'm going to. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Randy. Yes, so scared to know that that's where I'm going. I'm going there. They just experienced some incoming and this is, I'm going to war now. So I was so scared, so nervous. So I finally get to Fob Echo, go to Fob Echo to get there. And at first, like things have like died down quite a bit. So we're not experiencing any incoming, not too much uh, bombs or anything going off. And then November kind of comes around and it's towards the, uh, you know, the winter time area or time frame. And so now we're experiencing more bombs and we're incoming. Mm-hmm. And one of our systems, like the security system that was there, when these bombs come in, they're supposed, there's like alarm system that's supposed to go off and it lets you know that there's incoming coming our launch system did not work. So you never knew when things were gonna happen. So a bomb would come, things would blow up, the ground would shake really loud. It would be just like on the movies, how the ground is moving and it's loud and it's, you know, it's it's really intense. It's exactly like that, except for it's real life. <laughs> it's real life, it's extremely scary. So we were getting bombs and, and coming all the time. And then towards January, or not January, but December timeframe, I started experiencing like extreme fatigue. I was so tired, no matter how much I rested, no matter how much downtime I tried to have, I just could not get enough rest. And that was one of the symptoms with Ewing sarcoma cancer is that it's fatigue. So that's one of the symptoms. So during December timeframe, I'm thinking I'm so tired because... I'm in war, there's bombs going off all the time. My family's not around. Um, I'm, a, you know, I'm in this totally foreign country by, you know, by myself essentially with nobody, my loved ones, everyone's gone. So I'm thinking that's why I'm so tired and I miss the holidays and my family, you know, just all of that. 24 years old, first time out of the country with my family. So I kind of just brush it off and think that. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably what it is. I'm just really stressed out with everything that's going on and adapting to my new surroundings. So then January comes around and then I notice a small lump sticking out of my leg and I didn't think anything of it. And then I, you know, I'm like pushing on it, moving around, trying to see if it hurts and trying to just, I've never, like nothing like this has ever happened. So I didn't know what it was and it was about the size of an orange. So it was buried deep in my leg. And if I pull my left leg up to my chest, which I was doing at the time, you can see a protrusion sticking out of my leg. And I was like, oh, this is weird. You know, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe I pulled a muscle. Maybe I got bit by something. Maybe, I don't know what I thought. I just, it didn't make any sense. So I kind of just bounced it off of different people. And they're like, you know, something's really wrong. Something's going on. You need to get it checked out. So I go around to the medics. They send me from uh, my written my initial area was in Fob Echo to Baghdad to get a CT scan from uh, from Baghdad to Germany to get an MRI. From there, I, I'm told that it's a tumor and that it could be cancer. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. You know, like what do you mean? What it, what is a tumor exactly? So then I start doing research on what a tumor is. And I had never met anybody with a tumor. I didn't even I'd never heard of the word tumor. I know it's kind of strange, but I didn't have these like really severe medical issues ever growing up. So I just, I didn't know what it was. So after they tell me that 
it's a tumor and they then do a biopsy to see what type of tumor it was. They tell me it's a nerve sheath tumor. So they misdiagnosed me by accident. So whatever, not sure what happened with that. They misdiagnosed me. And then during this entire time, I'm in um, constant contact with my mother. So I'm letting her know that I'm in, I'm in this area, I'm over here, this is where I'm at. This is why I'm going to these different places. I have this lump in my leg, I'm not quite sure what it is. And she seems extremely concerned. She's like, are you asking the right questions? Mm-hmm. Are you, um, you know, what, what's the doctor saying? This doesn't sound normal. This doesn't seem normal. Um, how are you feeling? Um, how long have you had it? And I'm just telling her like, hey, everything feels fine. It doesn't hurt. I mean, nothing's wrong. She's probably in the back of her mind knowing that something's really going on. And I'm so nonchalant and like <laughs> like so oblivious to what's really going on I'm just like mom it's okay like I'm I'm fine you know it's just this bump popped out of nowhere mm-hmm. okay so then they send me from Germany they send me to Walter Reed Medical Center mm-hmm. and so now at this point I know that I have cancer because they told me that it was a nerve sheath tumor so I did my research prior to going to Walter Reed and I see that it's a nerve sheath tumor. It sounds like it's been in Ewing sarcoma because it could have been two different types. Could have been Ewing sarcoma and it could have been a nerve sheath tumor. And the doctor at the time, I'm nerve sorry. Sheath, I'm sorry. Um, nerve sheath tumors are considered cancer as well. I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I know <laughs> both of them are pretty rare cancers. Yeah. yeah. So they were telling me that it could be either or. And then by the time I left, they had misdiagnosed me and told me that it was a nerve sheath tumor. Mm-hmm. And so this entire time, I'm thinking that's what I have. And I remember him saying to me, we just hope and pray it's not Ewing sarcoma. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I, I hope it's not that either. Like, what is that? So I looked them both up and Ewing sarcoma is a soft tissue cancer. It's basically everything in the body, like the blood vessels, the fatty tissues, the muscle the the bones, the cartilage, like all that becomes cancerous. Um, and it metastasizes really, really, really fast. So it sprays from like the initial site to the brainstem, the lungs and spinal cord. So it's kind of like, eh, you know, they're going to like write you off because there's not much you can do if it metastasizes and goes to all these places because it's so aggressive. And then with this cancer, it also affects people who are about 14 years and younger they are Caucasian and they're little boys. So when he told me all of these symptoms or all of these like um, markers, and I was like, oh, well, I probably have the nerve sheath tumor. And then they said it was a nerve sheath tumor because I didn't fit the bill for Ewing sarcoma. So we're just the entire time we're thinking that's what I have. Okay, so then, <laughs> so then we finally get to Walter Reed. Walter Reed. We get there and they have to do a new biopsy because the old cells had died off. Do the new biopsy. And they then tell me that it's Ewing sarcoma cancer, not a nerve sheath tumor. And then at that moment, I think everything kind of just changed from being like hopeful and optimistic at that point to like very hopeless. I'm very nervous. I'm scared. I'm having panic attacks. Anxiety is like shooting through the roof. I'm depressed. I think I'm going to die. So does everybody else. But that's initially how I all the way up until that day at Walter Reed, how it all kind of just unfolded. And during that time frame, it took about three weeks. So literally, I am the beginning of January. I feel fine. I feel like everything's going great. That next month in February, I am a cancer patient. I have cancer now and I'm fighting for my life. That, that's quite a transition and that's a lot to process. It was a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, it happened very quickly. And, and like you're saying, you were anxious and depressed and it's just your, your, your life was flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So mm-hmm. once you were diagnosed, what did they, I guess, what was the prognosis? Did they give you a chance for survival? Did they start looking to see if it had metastasized? Like, was it just in your leg? Yeah, so after they did the biopsy, they were checking to make sure it didn't metastasize and go anywhere. So luckily, it stayed in my leg area. So the cancer was in my adductor muscle, and it had spread just all throughout the adductor muscle. It was just like growing, growing, growing massively, huge. By the time I had got to Walter Reed, it was the size of a 
cantaloupe. Holy you know, the, it was huge. But the thing is with cancer, if you disrupt it, because cancer, all it is essentially is just your cells are replicating at a quick speed. And if you, if you puncture it, it, the healing process is to replicate it and to fix itself. And it just doesn't turn off. And so I had two biopsies and it's just growing and growing and growing and growing. And it's, it's just so fast and it's rock hard, like a, like Oak, like it's solid and so hard. And I can't extend my leg out. I can't feel my toes on my left side. My nerves are like burning really bad. I couldn't extend, I couldn't put any pressure on my leg and it was just growing so quickly. Um, so when they initially told me that it was Ewing sarcoma cancer, <clears throat> they all thought that I was gonna die. And it's mainly because they had never seen a case ever in person. So they read everything off medical books and textbooks and stuff. And they don't know if the, the procedures and the regimen they're gonna give me is gonna work because they've never had a case of human sarcoma. Yeah. They, they, if they just never seen it. So they're like, well, we, you know, according to this paperwork, like you won't, you won't live past five years, basically because the cancer will come back so quick, so fast, and it will metastasize in different areas. Even if I had just had it in my leg, like the chances of it reoccurring a year later or two years later are so high that you know there you don't have a high chance of living past five years. I'm at my 13th year mark, by the way, so Congrats. I made it, I made it. Um, so they tell me, you know, they're not quite sure. They're not promising me anything. They're being very vague about stuff because they don't know what to say. They, they just, they're not sure if I'm going to live. They're not sure if I'm going to die, but all the actions were more towards me passing away. So they would have me update my will a million times. They would have the chaplain come in and like pray over me with this huge crucifix. They would, um, you know, just tell me that, you know, they're going to do the best that they can, but they can't promise me anything. And it came to a point where I was just so depressed and so sad that like this, this team of doctors or these, you know, the doctors I had just were not in my favor of me living that my mother kind of told them that they had to stop coming in that you guys, you know, if, if you don't need to come in to come in here and take labs and stuff, like don't keep coming in here. Don't bother us. Just leave us alone. We don't want to hear and like see this bad news all the time. So she was kind of like the buffer, just letting people, we put a sign up, like, don't disturb, don't come in here, don't bother us, you know, unless it's like dire need and you really need to be in there, then, you know, we're trying to create a nice, happy atmosphere. So we started watching funny movies and we started laughing all the time. And um, she would always let me know that everything was going to be okay, that she, she, you know, don't worry about it. Um, this is not it for you, Brandy. So she was a huge, huge, huge support system within that time frame, And she ended up quitting her job. So she lived in Texas at the time. I was getting treated at Walter Reed in DC. She quit her job. She quit everything, left everything to come live with me inside the hospital. And she stayed with me the entire duration um, of that time, the whole entire time. She was there with me the entire time. Her and my nephew. Oh. I know. Isn't that amazing? amazing? I think it's so amazing. And I feel like it's so critical to have a support system when you're going through something so traumatic like that. Absolutely. So traumatic like that. And and somebody who has that that right attitude, like she she stepped up and she was that that bit of sunshine and the shining light instead of focusing on the possibility of, of you passing. She's like, Nope, not an yeah. option. We're you know don't even come in here with that, that attitude, right, <laughs> right. you know, we're just, we're just going to be positive and, you know, watch funny movies and laugh. And I think like having that outlook probably helped you out a lot. It really did. It really, really did. It went, cause it's the only thing you have really when it's just you and whatever's going on, it's like your mind frame and whatever's going on. If I'm constantly thinking I'm going to die and they've never seen a case like this and I'm going to pass away. I'm only 24 years old and I don't want to die. And God, I'm going to see heaven. Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? Like what the, you know, what is going on? Like, how is this even possible? And it, are there these things that does this really truly exist? Like have I, was I a bad person? Is this my karma? It was just like so much going on inside of my head that the only thing that we could control is our mind. And then the outside sources that were not, 
really lining up with what we wanted to happen at the end of the day. So her being there and kind of just putting a stop to it really also, you know, helps as well. Absolutely. That, that having that right mindset and the mind frame is, is really important. And like you're saying, it controls your controllables. Like you can't control that you have Ewing sarcoma and right. it's, it's cancer. Like, but you can control is, you know, like your attitude, your mindset and everything like that. And I think that's really right. great for your, your mom and your, your, um, your support system to have that <clears throat> to help so, support you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, what was the treatment plan, even though the, the doctors are saying you're probably going to die and all these things, what, what kind of plan did they put together for you to either try to save you or prolong your life? Uh, so they said that they were going to give me 17 cycles of chemotherapy in a year. So that meant I do five days on, eight days off, five days on, eight days off. And I continued that for the entire duration that I was in the hospital for the 10-ish, 11 months. So I, I did that. And um, when they gave me the chemotherapy, they weren't sure if it was going to respond or not, because it could have been two different types. With cancer, it could either respond to the treatment or it can't. And so if it doesn't, then they kind of, you know, uh, change things around and see if it's going to work. Uh, but luckily it responded. So they weren't sure if it was going to work. And I remember just begging them, just give me the chemotherapy already. Like, what are we waiting for? My life is on the line. Like, I'm ready to get better. I'm ready for this treatment. Whatever it is, let's start it now. And they took, it seemed like it took forever for them to finally give it to me. They finally give it to me. And we see that, you know, because it was huge. It was so big. Um, but as I was getting the treatment, I could see that it was slowly shrinking. So that meant it was responding. And I was like, oh, thank you goodness that is responding because if it didn't they were going to have to amputate my leg at my left hip bone mm-hmm. and to take it all off and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> I really don't know how I'm going to live without two legs I don't know how that's going to work but luckily it, you know that didn't that didn't happen and it responded but at first they they weren't even sure if it was going to if it was going to be a uh, successful treatment or not yeah they never know they just they they didn't know. And everybody's body is different. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that it had responded to the, the chemo and for you to be able to go forward with that. Did you ultimately have to get the tumor taken out? Did they? Oh, yes. Part so of muscle too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after I did, they broke it up into two different um, sections. So the first six treatments was about three, six months or something. I don't know. First six treatments, I did the chemotherapy to shrink it down. Then I did a massive surgery where they removed my entire adductor muscle out and they um, tied like my quad and my hamstring kind of like back together because Mm. so with a regular leg, you have like your leg and there's like a muscle that kind of sticks out a little bit. It's the adductor muscle. So they removed that. So it's like a stick and like a regular leg now, you know, because that muscle is missing. So they removed that, tied it all up back together. And then I continued more treatment, uh, the rest of the treatment for that. Um, And then while I'm going through this, they have to get clean margins. And so they weren't sure if they were going to be able to salvage my leg or not, because they didn't know how much they were really going to have to take out. So they ended up taking about like six or five pounds of muscle out of my leg. My surgery was about 13 hours, 14 hours long. I remember when I woke up, I was just like shaking so much. Like my, I was stuttering a lot. I was shaking a lot. You know, I I felt really, really cold. Mm -hmm. And they, they said the surgery had taken so long that they were just going to put me in an induced coma. Just let me kind of like sleep it out. (laughs) I know. I was like, wow, but they didn't have to do that. I was able to wake up and my family was there and, you know, it, it worked out, but so it was just chemotherapy, surgery, more chemotherapy. And, uh, that's basically the, uh, the gist of the treatment plan. And then of course there was physical therapy. I had to learn how to walk again. I had a psychologist to talk to. I had, um, um, a dietitian person that would come in and kind of tell me like what I need to be eating and what I should be avoiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a long haul. It definitely was a long time. It was very long that you, you had resources though, like obviously. Uh- 
physical therapy is a big deal, but then also speaking with a, like a psychologist and, you know, that's, that's a huge experience that you would have gone through, let alone being in the military, but it's like PTSD from cancer too. Like to be able oh, it to is. process that, it's insane. Yes. I have PTSD now from having cancer mm-hmm. and I didn't know that that was possible. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason thought PTSD only came from people who were in like war that's the only way you can get it. I didn't know it could come from anything. It can come from a bad childhood, trauma, any trauma. If your cat guy ran over, your parents got divorced, you went through cancer, something happened, it's traumatic to you. It you know shook you to the core. That's yeah. your PTSD. I didn't know that. I had no clue. And so years later, and I'm like, wow, I, I didn't know I, that was possible. And now I know that it's anybody can get it at any given time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you, um, continuing on, like even 13 years later, do you, you still like, um, I guess do maintenance with, with, um, like mental health and everything like that too? Of course I get, I have, um, my mental health appointments are twice a month and they will be for the rest of my life. And sometimes they're like, Brandy, do do you feel like you need to talk to anybody? I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Like my life has changed forever. Like sometimes I have really great days and sometimes I'm like, damn, man, this sucks. You know, it's like my leg is messed up for the rest of my life. I can't do the things I want to do. I can't have children because I had so much chemotherapy and it just damaged and tore my insides up. Like I am going to be living with this for the rest of my life. So yes, I would like to continue my treatment plan forever. So yeah, I, I have that. I was going through physical therapy for a couple of years, but I, I really honestly feel like that just is not going to help me out because there's no muscle to rehab. The muscle has gone, you know, so I'm not trying to strengthen up this torn muscle or a muscle that's weak. There's no muscle there. It's gone. You know, you you kind of reached the, as far as you can go with, with physical therapy. I've reached and I've accepted it. And I remember I'd be like, you know, I have to go to physical therapy and I have to make it stronger. And it's like, no matter how much physical therapy I've gone through, I've gone through hours and hours, years, days, weeks, and I've done everything. And there's, there's no muscle to rehab back to life. So, you know, it's just gotta, gotta let it go cut it loose. Yeah. Um, with that, you're saying like physically, obviously you've lost adductor, adductor, adductor muscles, muscle, mm-hmm. um, as far as physical limitations, what, you know, you were a very active person prior, obviously in the military, an athlete kind of did anything and everything like to stay healthy and active. Um, what kind mm-hmm. of limitations did it, 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 I guess, provide you? I don't even know if that's right. Yeah. What kind of limitations did you have post losing your adductor muscle? Like what can you do still? And what can you not do? Well, I can, I, nothing's the same Mm. anymore at all. So I can't sprint and run and jump and, you know, do all the active things that I used to do. Like I can do them. It's just different now. So like when I am running, my leg drags a little bit when I'm trying, I can't sprint. God forbid I try to like run really fast. My leg is just not strong enough or like there's the balance in this left leg is horrific. It's really bad. So it's just really weak. It's very thin. It's very frail. You can definitely see a difference between the two. Um, so I think that like the physical part is, is definitely there, but I feel like more mentally, it's more like, um, not want to say hindered, but more left of a print than it did physically. Cause mentally, I just, I know that I can't even try or I'm not even able. And it makes me feel like I don't know. I don't want to say like I'm half the person, but I feel like I'm not even like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, I feel like it's more mentally draining than it is physically. Oh, um, yeah, it really is. And you I have to live with this forever. <laughs> even though I'm so grateful for life and I'm so happy and I'm, you know, I, I love that, that my life is the way it is and it's wonderful it is still really hard mentally hard on me, you know, cause it, you know, I look different and I'm insecure about certain things and, you know, I don't, it's just, just mentally, the mental capacity of everything has changed me and just the way I see myself in life, just in, in, in general then. 
the physical aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's, it's that, that kind of that physical constant reminder that, you know, you, you had cancer and, and your body's just different now. And that's, that's definitely gotta be, pardon my French, a mind fuck. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. Oh my Fitness. goodness. Mm-hmm. So do you lift weights at all? Like I do, do on the bike or do other sources of cardio. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard for me to run on this left leg mm-hmm. just in general now. So I'll run sometimes, but I do a lot of riding, you know, cycling or swimming or the elliptical, you know, stuff like that. So I definitely um, do all those things. I'm still very, very active. It's just not how I used to be. Like I can't go, you know, uh, hardcore yeah. like I would like to or what I would, you know, I think I can do because you know, these legs are limiting, but I definitely still do work out and eat well and stay as active as I can. And I don't like to stop myself or put limits on myself, but I do have some sort of limitations, you know, it's just, that's just inevitable. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And especially kind of getting a feel for your personality, being an athlete and a competitor and competitive, that's, it's definitely that that makes it a challenge just because it is different. So I definitely can, can empathize with that for sure. So yeah, I'm just, Hey, I'm, I'm glad that you, you were able to keep your leg. I think that's a a blessing. Mm -hmm. You you constantly think about that too. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, gosh, what if they would have to cut it off? That would have been so much harder. And I'm like, Oh my God, Brandy, like stop complaining sure you can't play basketball like you want or soccer like you want because I would love to play on an adult team and play soccer oh my god that was the best exercise in the world and it was so rewarding when I loved it and I enjoyed it and now I can't play because if someone were to run into my leg they'd probably break it there's no there's no muscle there it's just the bone that's sticking there so if someone were to knock into it yes it and you can feel it it's crazy yeah it's it's (laughs) kind of crazy that modern science was able to do that too like to be able to take a muscle and sew your leg back up that's that's insane for me to think about it is it is I can't wait for a day that there's a cure oh my god <laughs> that's gonna be yeah. great gosh hell yeah so you, you also talked about like um you, you spoke with a dietitian and you talked mm-hmm. about nutrition um I I I listened in that episode on Instagram live that you, you don't do dairy and you typically more plant-based vegetarian based type diet. Did you follow more of a diet like that prior? Or is this something like you made a change after your cancer diagnosis, just because of the instances of the sarcoma to be able to come back so fiercely? Mm -hmm. Um, That all changed after the fact. So when I was going through my treatment, the only things that I could not eat were like raw vegetables. I couldn't have um, anything that was uncooked, like sushi. I don't eat that anyways, but no sushi. Anything that had live enzymes, basically fresh fruits, fresh fresh vegetables, things like that. I was not allowed to eat it because my, uh, my, my immune system would be so low. I'd be considered a neutropenic a lot of times. And that meant that I could, if someone were to sneeze on me, that my immune system wasn't strong enough to fight off the bacteria that someone sneezed on me or coughed on me or whatever it was that somebody who was five years old, their immune system could fight it off. But me, you know, older, stronger before I can't fight that off because there's no defense mechanism up. So they just let me know that I couldn't eat those types of things. And I couldn't, you know, be in the crowds and I had to wear a mask, kind of like what's going on now. Before, <laughs> Back so, then. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I had like small limitations with that. And then when I kind of uh, started doing my own research and finding out different things about like dairy and, you know, meat and, you know, high processed foods and sugars and stuff like that kind of just took into my own hands to limit certain things. And it's not because somebody told me to do it. I just do it because I feel like I've seen the best results from that diet and the research that I've, that I've seen and, and uh, read about um, supports that, that lifestyle that I want to live. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it's every, everybody is different, literally, like not just everybody, but everybody is different. So for you, mm-hmm. to, your research and to, to try things out and, and find that that works for you. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like an anti-cancer dietary method. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's the way to follow, especially if, you know, um, the chances of recurrence is, is so high. And for you to be able, once again, to control your controllables, mm-hmm. and help nourish your body and to, to help, you know, build up your, A, your immune system and B, to give your body as many nutrients as possible to help fight off, hopefully right. nothing would ever right. come back. Yeah. Goodness gosh. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, like you were saying with dairy, like it's the, like with, I think it's the casein protein that makes it more likely for like helps feed cancer that and sugar, sugar helps feed cancer too. So, yeah. And they, I've watched this really cool documentary. I don't remember what it was called, but it was just talking about how the dairy, like the milk, um, how there's allowed, there's a certain amount of bacteria that's allowed in the, in the milk or in the cheese or in, you know, the dairy products. And that over in Europe, the bacteria that's allowed over there is significantly lower than what it is here in the States. And I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. Like they don't allow pesticides on their fruits and vegetables over here. They do. I think over in, um, in, you know, UK and Germany, I know there's some other things going on with like vaccines over there. Like you're allowed to ask for ingredients and like what's going on in them over here. They're kind of like, they don't tell you it's kind of a little different. So I don't know. So I just, with my own research, I'm like, okay, well, I feel like I would like to control what I can control and what makes me feel better. And that's, so I just stopped eating uh, certain meats and, and, and dairies and sugars and stuff like that. So I try to stick to like a whole base uh, food system. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that uh, that's the perfect diet in the world. That just means that that's what works for me. It might be something different for somebody else. A thousand percent. Yeah. And you know, like it's, there's so many studies and so many different theories for nutrition and some things are backed up. Some things are debunked and everything like that. You can go anywhere and find any information, but exactly. You found what works for you and it, right. you know, end of the day, it's everything everybody can agree on. Like eating real food is the best thing you can do for your body. Yeah. So yes. You're just eating yes. whole, real food. <laughs> right. Right. And it can be, it can be anything as long as you, it makes you feel good and your labs are, are fine and you feel good, then keep doing that, you know? So yeah. it's whatever makes you feel happy and feel great at the end of the, at the end of the day. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So, um, since I, I guess being in the clear, uh, was it considered like at five years, you're considered into being in remission? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after my five-year mark was going to be like the telltelling sign that that the cancer should not be returning or coming back. So it's been 12 years. Um, so I'm pretty much in the clear. However, with some of the chemotherapies and the treatments that you do take while on treatment, your treatment plan, uh, you're chances of getting a different type of cancer are significantly higher than they would have been if you didn't have the chemotherapy. Isn't that crazy? It's called, um, gosh, it's called, man, I can't think of it, but it's a secondary cancer is what it's called. So I could have Ewing sarcoma cancer. I make my five years. And then in 22 years later, I get, um, leukemia or something like that. And it would be called secondary cancer. It's caused, and they say that uh, it would be caused, or there's a high significant rate or evidence it'd be from the treatment that you already had. Okay. Due, due to the chemo, like the chemo? Yeah, the chemotherapy. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. 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 And also, I remember talking to a doctor. He was doing my labs, and you know, I'm sick, and I'm not feeling well and stuff. And I don't even know why it came up, but I was like, he was saying something about leukemia and how my chances of getting leukemia have like heightened even more. And I'm like, what, why is that? And he's like, well, because you've already had cancer, you've already had it. And this, you know, these chemotherapies, they make you at a higher risk to have more different types of cancer. So I was like, Oh my God, I started bawling and crying. My mom's like, get the hell out of here. here. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this nurse? <laughs> get out of here. Stop it. Yeah. Oh yep. my gosh. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. well, you know, chemo is a, you know, it's a toxin. It's, it's it poison. Is. So it is. It is. And it's acid. It's like acid. 
going through your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, what was that experience like for you doing the chemo? Like, did you get sick? Hair loss, I'm assuming everything yeah. the works. Okay. Yes. So my third cycle of treatment for chemotherapy, I don't remember which one it was, but it made my hair fall out. So that was about three weeks, three, four, three or four weeks into the treatment plan. And my hair was crunchy. Like, um, I don't like if I were to go like this, it was just like crack, 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 crack. It was crunchy and I'd lay my head on the pillow. If I went like this, it just all fall out. Everything was just falling out like at high, high, high speeds. Um, so my hair fell out for sure. I would have dark knuckles, my knuckles, my elbows, and my knees were like black, like dark, super dark, really dark. I had, um, sometimes I would smell like poison. Like I could, like I smelled like poison. You just, you smelled, I smelled terrible. You know, it's kind of like you drink alcohol, you can smell the alcohol in their pores. So I smelled like a radiation tank. Like you could smell, like I could smell myself. I smelled terrible. Of course, the hair falling out, your eyelashes come out, the hair in your nose comes out, hair everywhere, your arms, legs, anything you can name hair that's there, it's gone. So you're super smooth and it's really nice. That's cool. Um, I was, um, I couldn't wear deodorant because it burned so bad. I couldn't eat chocolate because it burned, ketchup burned my mouth, mustard burned my mouth. Um, I could smell, my sense of smell was immaculate. I could smell, so the doctors would give, or the, the, the people, whoever would deliver the lunch to us, I could smell what was on the plate before. I'd be like, oh my God, you know, this person must have had fish and I'd be eating chicken on the plate. And like this plate smells like fish, so I can smell it. My smell was crazy. Oh I would hallucinate. I would see spirits and dead people. I would talk to myself. One of the chemotherapies made me stutter really bad. Like I could never get a sentence out at all. It was so hard. Um, another one made me really jittery. Um, I would have neuropathy. So I'd have my, the sensation in my hands and my feet were tingly. Like I felt like there was, you know, like a prickly feeling in my hands and my feet all the time, all the time. Like, you know, when you fall asleep on your arm and your arm is, you know, it's kind of tingling and shaking it out. My feet were like that. My hands were like that. Um, I was really weak. I lost a lot of weight. My my muscles and my body like atrophied. So it was like jello almost. Um, I was so weak that I couldn't sign myself out of a hospital. My mom had to sign me out. It was intense, intense. You know, of course you have your throat, um, swallowing stuff, you know, getting, getting sick. Um, they'd have to give me, give me uh, pills because I'd get constipated all the time because of all the treatment it was just a wreck. My stomach would hurt all the time. I'd be really gassy. I throw up a lot, very nauseous, a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy hell. That, that's, they, it put you through the ringer. It really did. It really did. And I, I'm just like, wow. Sometimes I think like, what? That was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was crazy. That I is so crazy. That. That's badass. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hard. And then like, I feel like it's even harder for the person who's not sick, like my mom, to watch yeah. and to like constantly just be on guard all the time, making sure she's okay. She had an adverse effect. What's going on with her? And you can't do anything to help yeah. this person who's feeling so sick. Oh. Yeah. Especially just, for a mother with her, her child. That's that. Yeah caretakers uh, they just deserve a special place in heaven like what they what they also <laughs> with their yes. family member their friend wh- whomever they, this person is it's just it's it's incredibly hard to be helpless all you can just do is be there and try to be strong for this person and that's that's it's incredible what uh, caretakers will undertake yeah 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 crazy Aww. so any um lasting effects of the chemo like are you you feel oh good yeah or, uh, yes I, so I can't have kids because it ruined all of my reproductive system, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going through menopause. I am 36, but I've been going through it for like the last five years. So I guess it takes a long time. I have no clue. So I get like hot flashes. I'll get 
um, you know, mood swings and stuff. And it's all because everything's about to end. Thank goodness because I'm tired of the periods because they're not fun. So I'm okay with that. So that happened. Um, I have, my memory is not as great as it used to be. Uh, so they call that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's chemo brain. And it's mm-hmm. like the craziest thing. I had like my memory before cancer, before 2009, I can remember so much stuff. And then anything before, I mean, after 2009 to now, it's like bits and different things here and there. I have to really like study it to remember stuff. So my memory is a bit not doing so well. Of course, like the physical aspect of it all and the things like PTSD and, um, you know, anxiety that I always have and stuff like that, that has also happened. And I also feel like it kind of opened up something different in my thing. So now I start having dreams about stuff and they come true. Whoa. What what is that called? Uh, Oh, shoot. I used to like, um, where you kind of feel like you've been there before too. Or is it yeah. actually almost like a, almost like a, a premonition or like, um, not even like psychic, but yeah, go ahead. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay. So after, so growing up this, you know, being a child, I would have dreams about stuff and they'd like ha- some of the stuff would happen. Deja vu. Was, That's what I was thinking. Deja. Sorry. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I'll have these deja vu sessions or things that would happen. And now I'll get like, I'll get like numbers or I'll get names or I'll get like information or colors or numbers or whatever it is. And then like a couple of days later, months later, like the same thing will pop up. And I'm like, what is that? It's so crazy. It really is. It is so, it's a trip. It's a trip, but it's like, it opened up something else in my mind to make it even more strong because it wasn't like, it wasn't as strong it is as it is now. Cause now I can like really like, I'm seeing, I'll see numbers. I'll, I'll wake up with names of stuff. Um, I'll, 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 it's, it's just so, so different. So, so different now. So that also is something. Yeah. Do you write that down? Have you done anything with that? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. I, oh and, I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll make sure I tell my fiance about it. I'm like, oh my God, this is what happened. This is what happened. And I woke up with these numbers. I don't know what these numbers mean. Or like, I woke up with this name. God, I can't remember. It was like Ashlon or something. And the word means gift. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then weeks later, uh, he ends up proposing to me. I'm like, maybe that was it. I don't know. But I don't know. It's just like really odd things will happen. And I'll have dreams about stuff. Wow. They'll, they'll come true. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's just intensified even more. So yeah. I'm able to like retain the information better. And I'll, I'm able to, it's like, it's like, it's actually happening now so that's something interesting I know it's a little weird though but yeah how do I explain this I don't want to sound like a crazy person <laughs> I know I know hopefully I don't sound too crazy no, no you don't but it's just like that's that kind of stuff yeah it's just almost like more open-minded that's like the only way that you can I guess describe it it's just mm-hmm. it unlocks something in your brain that's so neat it really really did it really did and it also made me more like sympathetic and empathetic so before like I could feel sorry for somebody, but I really didn't experience it or, um, you know, or I just hadn't gone through that type of trauma. So I really, it's like, oh, you know, I, I'm sorry that that happened. But now I'm just like, oh my God, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been through it. I know you're, how you're feeling. So it's made me more relatable to a lot of different people because a lot of people have cancer or have survived some sort of trauma in their life. Yeah. And it's, it's insane. Like how that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast. I was just like, it's crazy how many people that I know that have had cancer. And then I was just like, it's, it's so prevalent now. And it's just, there's so many types and stories out there. It's, it's crazy. Like even I'm also 36 and it's just like, it's, I've, I've known so many people who've had loved ones that died of it, or they've personally, mm-hmm. had cancer. it's just like, holy crap. Like there are so many stories that need to get out there. And I need like being able to hear from and people like you and like, who've, who've done like <laughs> these beautiful things since surviving cancer. And it's just almost like these like silver linings to, to going through something tragic mm-hmm. and to hear people do good coming out of something so shitty. 
It's yeah. super inspiring. Yes. Yes. And it's so motivating. I remember when I was going through my treatment and I was like, if I get to live this time, you know, the second chance of life, I'm going to make it, it's going to mean something like I am going to, you know, accomplish this. I'm not, I'm going to be less fearful. I'm going to be fearless. And I'm definitely like living this whole totally different new life. And if I want to try something and it scares me, like I, I make myself do it. I make myself sign up for things that I would never have done before. I make myself do like podcasts last a year and a half ago. I would never do something like this. Never. But I'm like, I have to get over the fear of talking to people. Like, how am I going to get great at telling my story or spreading the awareness if I can't even do it? So I would sign myself up left and right. Sometimes I would cry before my podcast that I would have to do. Like, I was so scared. But I'm like, I have, you know, I'm on a mission now and it's to spread awareness and let people know that adversity happens, tragedy happens, but you can still, you know, be a a great person and still have a full and happy and healthy life, Mm -hmm. even though you experience something so horrendous. Yeah, absolutely. And you have the opportunity to um, impact that life, impact other people's lives too, with your experience. And it's almost like a pay it forward kind of thing to be able to help spread some good as well. So yes. that being said, like post-cancer, like what have, what have you done? You're talking about doing things that scare you. Like, I think that's so important. Like do things that scare you every day. You know, like I get so nervous about pub- public speaking too. And I always get nervous before I get on my podcast. I'm like, <gasps> you know, little butterflies yes. and everything, but yes. it's like it's, I'm so glad I did it. It's just such this like warm, fuzzy, this like big warm hug at the end of it. It's just like meeting someone new and someone cool doing amazing yeah. things with their lives. So I guess like what, what is, um, what is, what has come of your, your cancer sur- survivalship? Like what's, what's a silver lining? <clears throat> what good has come from cancer for you? I ended up publishing a book called The Enemy Inside Me. I did that. I went back and got my MFA in writing from Savannah College of Art and Design. I opened up a business called Resume Advantage, uh, which is geared towards, it was kind of a couple years ago, it started off, it was just kind of for the veterans that were transitioning from the military to the civilian sector and helping them with employment services. So their resumes and cover letters, professional bios, stuff like that. But now it's kind of grown and it's really towards whoever needs those services. So I opened a business. Um, I am a inspiring or motivational speaker, whatever you want to say, for TLC Lions. I uh, work for this company called Snow Companies. I'm an account manager for them. And we kind of do something like a little similar so I'm like the middleman of um, the patient advocate advocacy and the patient and then the pharmaceutical companies. And I bring the two together so they can like tell a story about the product they're on, how it's helping. And so like the commercials that you'll see about um, uh, Latuna or whatever the product is, like that person who found that individual who's on that product and then the company that has a product, I bring them together. So it's cool that I'm able to like live this whole new different life that's really meaningful uh, now. I'm not saying that it wasn't meaningful then, but now I feel like there's so much more drive and purpose mm-hmm. and focus on really just spreading awareness about people's stories and what's going on with them and in life after these events that they've happened. I've just so much has changed so much. And I feel like it's enhanced my livelihood and my my purpose in life. I feel like I'm really, really walking in my purpose right now and, and servicing others. And, and you would be so surprised to know that just as simple as telling a story, like it provides so much hope and that hope could translate to them living and pushing for another day. So I just, I love being able to, to do this now. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's a great life. Yeah, <laughs> I'm grateful. Oh, it's, it definitely, it, it changes your perspective in life and for you to take that and move forward and apply and help others and help change others' lives, I think is, is a huge, you know, paying it forward, a give back to the community, but then also it's helping enrich your life and and, and giving you, like you said, purpose. And I think that's amazing what you're doing. You're not just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself and, and everything like that. You're, you're actually doing something and and making this world better. So everything Mm -hmm. you're doing, oh my God, thank you for doing everything that you do. It's, it's incredible. Of course. And I'm also, I just uh, became the brand ambassador for the Sarcoma Alliance. 
And uh, so I'll be working with him. We're going to come up with some super cool ideas and campaigns and stuff. We're still working on them. But so my mission for sure right now is spreading awareness about sarcoma. That is like the ultimate goal, letting people know that there's this cancer out there that nobody knows about. And early detection is definitely the key. So um, that also has branched and was born this year. And I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm so grateful for all these opportunities that cancer has provided for me. You know, who would have known? I would have never known. This would have, I would have never guessed that this was going to be happening. 12, 13 years later, never. Would have never seen this coming, you know? And a lot of people get sick and a lot of people are okay with not leaving a legacy or, um, you know, being in the forefront, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but I feel like with, with me, I, my, so I feel like I have more purpose um, to fill a more fulfilling life would be great for me to be there for others is how, you know, it just, it just makes me feel good that I'm able to help people. And I think it's so important. It's like you said, a legacy, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, you're not just here on, I was talking with somebody and it's interesting. It's the dash. It's a poem. It's called like the dash, but you know, like the, the day you're born and then the day you die, like it's the two dates. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like what's in between of it? So like, that's really cool. And it really, you know, hit home for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're just given this one life. And what are you going to do with it from the day that you're born to the day that you die? You know, obviously it's not always productive, but for you to leave right. something in the wake of your life, like whether it's a legacy a foundation or anything like that. I, I think it's so important and it lives on and you live on from mm-hmm. what you've done and what you've left behind. And I think that's truly beautiful. And that's, that's a full life. Yeah. That's, that's so powerful. Yeah. The dash. Ooh. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It's like, Oh man, I need to look up that poem, but it's a poem. I just searched like the dash poem. And I'm like, Oh, that's really neat. I'm going to look it up. I'm yeah. going to look it up. That's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's true. What are you going to do? Yeah. You have all that time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Whether it's just a little bit of time or a lot of bit of time, but mm-hmm. do something, do something good with your life and help, you know, change others. I think that's really important. And talking with every survivor that I've talked with, and it's, that's a big thing, a big, um, consistent, uh, trend that I'm talking with people. It's, it's, it's doing something with, you know, with their life now and, and helping others and making, making their life worth it. So I, Right. Yeah, you you're you're absolutely killing it. Um oh, thank where you. Can, where can we find you? Like your can we get your book on Amazon? Um where mm-hmm. can we follow you from? Uh so you can get the book on Amazon. It's called Brand not Brandy. It's called The Enemy Inside Me by Brandy L. Benson. It's on Amazon, it's on Goodreads, it's on um it's in Barnes and Nobles. You can anywhere there's selling a book, it, it will be there. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Brandy with an I L dot Benson. And that is my handle for everything for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. They are all the same. Nice and easy. Perfect. Consistent. I like it. Yes. Beautiful. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Do you have any, um, advice for listeners that are out there, uh, before we wrap everything up? Yes, I think, what I like to say is that, um, so we're all, sometimes, you know, we're human. So we're going to be faced with some sort of adversity, big, small, whatever it is. But tell people don't make any permanent decisions off of temporary circumstances, situations, events, or feelings, because they're not going to last forever. So don't make anything that's going to hinder you in the future, like suicide or um something that's just not going to allow you to live your elite version or your full potential of your life because this hurt that you're feeling or the sorrow that you're feeling or the distress or whatever it is, it's not going to last forever. That event that caused that, it's not going to last forever. And if it is something that feels like it's going to last forever, you should seek help and professional services to help um, com- uh, combat that. That's, that's really great advice. And that's, that's really deep. I love that. It's true. Yeah, definitely going to take that with me. That's really great advice. Thank you, Brandy. Yes, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing your story. Yes. It was a pleasure having you on. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope you have a fabulous day. Thank you. You as well. 
Thank you again, Brandy, for sharing your cancer story with us. Like Brandy had said, you can find her anywhere on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at brandyl.benson. That's B-R-A-N-D-I-L dot B-E-N-S-O-N. You can find Brandy's book anywhere you get books. It's called The Enemy Inside Me by Brandy Benson. Also check her out as a brand ambassador for the Sarcoma Alliance. Also check her Instagram page out. She has so many different interviews on there. Um, She's connecting with a ton of people and sharing her story. And it's so inspiring. She also uh, is a speaker for the TLC Lions. So make sure to check them out. I will be posting her Um, the links to all the organizations she works with, including the one that she started called Resume Advantage. Um, So check everything out in the contents below where the podcast is posted. Thank you guys again for listening. Stay tuned next week for a brand new episode. Also, if you can subscribe and like and rate wherever you get your podcast that helps other people find me. And also we have some really exciting partnerships coming up. So please check out the links below, links in my Instagram page, and so on. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. See you next Monday.